0: This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I'm Sam Sachs, broadcasting out of Town, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, districtsentinel.com. So, friends, we are in the doldrums of the summer recess in Congress, so the news has slowed a bit. I guess we could uh, spend the show talking about Joe Biden's bleeding eye, but... We have Twitter for that discourse. Instead, what we're going to do is run some interviews Sam and I conducted this week. We spoke with journalist Hannah Gaze about white supremacist undercurrents in conservative media. And then we chatted with podcaster and shit poster Chris Caesar, who checked out the recent Boston Straight Pride rally so that we didn't have to. It was a shit show, and uh, he tells us all about it. Here's the deal. If you are a subscriber on Patreon... You'll get to hear both of those interviews on this episode. If you're not a subscriber, you'll get to hear our interview with Hannah coming up, but then you're going to have to head over to patreon.com slash district sentinel, sign up to hear the Chris Caesar interview. Make sense? I mean, we, I guess we could just give away everything for free, but then why would anybody sign up? Plus by signing up today, you can listen to tomorrow's garbage can episode, which is also for subscribers only. And you'll get your own haiku when you sign up. All right, let's do this. A lot of people are on edge during the Trump era, wondering just how far to the right the Republican Party will go. Recently, one journalist got an inside glimpse at this dynamic, at unapologetic Nazi admirers trying to use Trump to advance their agenda. Leaked emails of a chain entitled Morning Hate showed them using poorly coded language to praise Hitler and calling for the expulsion of Jews to Israel, among other things. Now, at the heart of the emails are an obscure right-wing think-tank journeyman named John Elliott and a former Daily Caller staffer named Jonah Bennett. The latter worked for the Tucker Carlson site right here in Pistown, Washington, D.C. Bennett now runs his own publication called Palladium. Elliott, meanwhile, was fired after he was exposed, the think tank he works for was called the Charlemagne Institute, and with a name like that, it's actually surprising he was fired for being a Nazi. Anyway, the riveting article was written by Hannah Gaze for Splinter News. Hannah is a journalist who writes for places like The Baffler and The New Republic. She joined us to talk about her expose of the morning hate.
1: There's been a lot of talk recently about how just how fascist is the Republican Party these days. How do you think this email leak uh, sort of informs that whole discussion or, or gives us some insight into it?
2: I think the main thing that it shows is that fascists are well aware that they have a great deal of connections and roots with the Republican Party. I mean, what that specifically says about the Republicans who are trying to get them out. It's a little harder to say, but as an institution, I think it's very clear that the Republican Party has been made to be compromised and that these guys know that it's so much easier to um, find connections, especially on issues like immigration uh, issues. I mean, even in some cases, certain foreign policy issues um, that the Republicans is really where it's at.
0: To be clear, these people and referring to this this email list, which your story uh, is based off of, these people are not doing irony. They they call their email list the Morning Hate. Uh, on it, they regularly praise Hitler. Um, they also approvingly link Trump to Hitler, suggesting uh, you know Trump is. Uh, Hitler's son (laughs) they they don't mean that literally but um, a a lot of lanyards in D.C. like to give Trump the benefit of the doubt that he's not purposefully stoking white supremacy in this country but the white supremacists sure are hearing what they're saying what he's saying what this administration is saying and taking the right messages from it right
2: yeah yeah definitely and also God Emperor Trump um, (laughs) yeah That's a that's another pretty common one. I I heard it a bunch when I started covering the National Policy Institute too, um, and they seem to have dropped it a little bit, partly because they just got really annoyed with Trump. <laughs> but
1: yeah. <laughs> so the, the the email chain, to be clear, it 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 sort of sheds light on this secret world. Uh, well, it's not so secret anymore after you exposed it, and uh, it also. Like, it's only very thinly veiled these days. Like, it doesn't take a lot for uh, people to get these glimpses into this world. I mean, like, it seems like every few weeks, at least every few weeks, another administration official is fired because they're outed as having ties to a group like Identity Europa or one of these other nationalists, uh, white nationalist movements. So what is this what what is this world sort of like because they are operating in this sort of gray area and leading these sort of double lives which sounds cooler than it is because they're just a bunch of fucking fascist shitheads uh and just deeply racist scum but so what what is what is this world sort of like
2: It's a, I think it's it's interesting um because yeah you're right I mean they're they basically are just a bunch of losers who tried to play spy, so to speak. And, and in a way, they ended up being very effective, although I think not necessarily by their own, because they're particularly smart. Um, it It's interesting, because a lot, especially in the DC scene, uh, a lot of it is really focused on these like in-person meetups. Um, so the thing a while back about Ian Smith, um, who was a... Department of Home, yeah DHS, um, guy who was on this list, listserv uh, for alt-right Toastmasters, um, which,
1: yeah, Toastmasters for anyone not aware is basically like an old-school, like your grandfather's club of people who get together but uh, just to like want to improve their public speaking. Yeah, it's it's very nerdy. Um, It's very it's. (laughs) You you would you would be embarrassed if, if your dad was going to a Toastmasters meeting.
2: <laughs> yeah. And presumably you would be embarrassed to um go to a Toastmaster's meeting if you're also like in your twenties and you're trying to be the hip and cool new right. Uh but strangely, I mean I guess in a way they are kind of embarrassed because once you start asking them whether they were at these, they tend to clam up a bit. But yeah, I think I think a lot of it is really focused on these uh, social networks and these various social events where people who are out white nationalists, um, some examples are like Kevin Deanna, who started this group called the Youth for Western Civilization, other folks like uh, Jared Taylor, who's the head of American Renaissance. These guys can uh, talk to some of these various figures like John Elliott or Jonah Bennett, who are the two people in the article I wrote, and they can kind of swap ideas, swap strategies, um, in a in what is somewhat ironically sort of a fascist safe space. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and at least from what I can gather, that's really what like the DC scene is like. I think New York is somewhat similar too, although it's not quite as prominent. And I mean, I think for a very good reason, a lot of the reporting has tend to focus on these. DC networks and, and and I think it's important
1: not to and what I was doing earlier it's sort of like mocking it and yes they are dorks they are nerdy they are incredibly just stupid and, and dorky as I said but it's it's important not to minimize it too much I mean uh, mm-hmm. like in when Hitler <laughs> was getting his start and tried his beer hall putch everyone said oh look at this fucking clown and then, like ten years later, he was the chancellor or whatever of Germany. So,
0: well, it, it's it's it, kind of it, like who's it? Jean Paul Sartre, who talked about debating Nazis and how they're not serious about anything, and like the whole the whole shtick is to just get a rise out of people, so it's hard to take them seriously, and then they take power and start committing genocide.
2: <laughs> yeah, basically.
0: <laughs> One of the theories I had is that you know, Trump, Trump's election and sort of the the rise of the white nationalist movement to power in the White House, gave a nod to all these people that it's okay to show your true colors. But as your piece goes, this email list started well before Trump's election. It goes back to 2015.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, I mean, the, I guess this speaks to the idea that although Trump has made the problem worse or activated certain people, uh, this was Lying under the surface for quite a while here in DC and within conservative power circles.
2: Yeah, definitely. Well, and it's interesting too, because um, one of the people I interviewed who is now very mad about how I interviewed him, um, Bryce Lalibert, um, who worked with Jonah Bennett at social matter although will not to be clear will not confirm neither confirm nor deny he essentially gave me the global response um (laughs) that they that they had any connection uh he published this op-ed in the daily caller and i think it was 2013 basically the title of it was it's not racist to seek an exit um and the implication was that yes of course white people can leave america um this is perfectly fine. Like there's a certain amount of self-determination that like races or ethnic groups should have. And all of that, I mean, it really came together because of Trump. I think initially it was just kind of scattered and there were these loose pockets of, especially with NRX or with neo-reactionary thought, there were these loose pockets that were saying like the same things, but they were just kind of these disparate groups that didn't really have anything holding them. Together per se.
1: Yeah, I remember back uh, in 2014 when the NRX guys uh, just started making the scene, and everyone at the time was saying, "God damn, these guys are so fucking like ridiculous. They're so like comically like awful and terrible, and they'll never make it anywhere." And the joke was on us, (laughs) big time. I mean, you had guys like Minchus, Moldbug. And like a guy like Michael Anisimov who who honestly looks like a caricature of an inbred Habsburg guy. And <laughs> and suddenly like obviously these people aren't uh necessarily getting in power themselves and if they are and are getting exposed for who they are, like they're they're having to either walk it back or resign, as we're seeing. But goddamn what the fuck? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean NRX specifically is really bizarre because I I was trying to read a, a bunch of bold bug for this piece just to kind of get more of a sense of it, and I just I just could not. It was like
1: because it's not even like overtly like fascist, although NRX and and fascism like neo fascism they dovetail in a lot of ways, but the NRX guys are just like. We just need to bring back like straight up kings and queens of Europe. Like (laughs) they're not so much trying to bring back the Reich, uh, the Third Reich, as they are trying to bring back like the First or Second Reich or whatever. They're like they're like the dweebs in uh, Babylon, Berlin, who who end up you think they're Nazis the whole time and then they end up supporting the Kaiser.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And then inexplicably, they use like twenty thousand words to do it. <laughs>
1: so, all right. I, I, another thing that struck me in in this uh, email chain that Sam was talking about about their coded language in the in the morning hate email with Jonah Bennett and uh, the 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 other guy. Sorry, I forgot his name right now, but it's a very basic white guy name, Elliot. Elliot yeah, John Elliot. John yeah. Elliot. Anyway. Uh, So in all these other things where they're talking about Hitler being like this great guy, uh, they simultaneously uh, referred to Israel as the place where Sheldon Adelson would be buried. And like, have you seen any reaction to this specific thing from Jewish supporters of Israel who are like, oh, shit, just realized that uh, Republicans who support Israel like just want us to want us to have a place to get deported to? Cause that, I actually, <laughs> for me, yeah. that was like the, mo- one of the more striking things I thought, but I, I feel like maybe I spend too much time thinking about that issue. I don't know.
2: I actually haven't seen that much on it. Um, a lot of people were, I, I think a lot of people were just relatively shocked that there was this, I mean, Elliot especially is this pretty, I've never met him. Um, <laughs> but, uh, he's been described to me as pretty mild-mannered and like the uh, most of the reaction more had to do with like the fact that IHS and ISI these various like conservative groups were employing someone like this um but yeah strangely not much on like the Adelson stuff
0: given just the vile nature of these emails did you notice any sort of like op security that the people involved in this stuff tried to implement like were they were they guarding over who was on this list? Uh, were they careful about who might see any of this stuff? Is there any indication that like higher up editors at the daily caller knew any of this stuff was going on and that the people involved in the list just didn't care or, or weren't afraid if anybody found out about this?
2: There's no, there's no indication that I was able to verify. Um, I mean, the, the thing about this list is it's very small. Um, Elliot would basically, because he was basically working with all these young people, um, would end up finding people that he decided were interesting and like people he could open up to. And I think what's been really interesting is seeing some of the reaction to him of like, "Oh, I never would have guessed this," because well, no, he would not. He wouldn't open up to you about these issues. Um, So that was mainly how they were trying to keep it, keep it closed and keep things secretive. The other thing are these code words that they were using, but I don't really see how those would be particularly effective at hiding anything.
0: Right. Because Um, they, they laid out in a key what each code word meant.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, there was a, at one point when I was sifting through things and I had, I think I had. Looked at that email like weeks and weeks ago and then was looking at something else and was like, Why are they talking about Hawaiians? I was like, Oh, oh, right, okay.
1: H- Hawaiians was their code for Jews, I uh, yeah, if
2: yeah, I, if
1: I'm not mistaken. Uh, I guess another thing that was particularly uh ridiculous about the higher-ups denials and and this whole idea of whether or not there is plausible deniability at a place like the Daily Caller and uh, their editor wrote you a rambling, angry statement about how they would never. (laughs) It's just that... If you look just not at anything secret, but at the open stories, like one after another, they are in some way trying to either minimize or do PR work for these white nationalist groups. And if you just take their reporting uh, and, and like a, do a meta analysis of it, like it's obvious that they're fucking that they are absolutely trying to do favors for the far right. And so I I just thought that whatever his face was who sent you the denial at the Daily Caller, just like cry me a fucking river, dude. Look at, read your shit.
2: Yeah. Well, it it came from the publisher, Neil Patel, um, who it's been interesting because I've seen similar statements. Um, I think he gave a similar statement on Rosie Gray's story about Scott Greer. Um, And there was another one. I I think the S. I think it was the SPLC did um, a piece that he gave a statement on about a Daily Caller reporter who was off, who was going to a HL Mencken club event, and then eventually they had to cancel it because, of course, it's like basically a white nationalist group. (laughs) Yeah, it's... It's really bizarre. I mean, if you if you look at some of the pieces that Greer and Bennett were writing, like there's definitely some stuff that really does stand out. Um, one thing is like coverage of Kevin McDonald, who is this anti-Semitic pseudo intellectual who, for a long a long time, was a professor, and wrote all these like various screeds on how Jews have evolutionarily adapted to make lots of money. Very serious. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> haven't haven't found that uh, evolutionary advantage yet on my end. Um, yes, yes, yeah, same.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hannah, um, when I'm curious, your reaction when you first got a hold of this trove of emails, because obviously, when confronted with a thesis like the Daily Caller and other conservative media in D.C. has a white nationalist problem, the reaction is, yeah, duh. But what's it like when you see these emails, when you see the language that's used and it just hammers it home? Uh, Just talk to that and also speak to what the reaction uh, to your piece has been, both uh, on the left and on the right.
2: Yeah. um, For me, I mean, it was definitely looking through these initially. It was like I, I did have the reaction. I basically first started on this of, well, yes, obviously, Um, But going through is really interesting to just kind of see how it specifically works. And I think one thing that gets lost in the whole, well, duh, aspect of a lot of of this is just this is very intricate. And the way that they're trying to find ways to manipulate people they work with, to manipulate the institutions that they're a part of. I mean, they are giving a lot of thought as to how to most effectively leverage what power they have, even if it's minimal. Yeah, especially looking at some of the rhetoric about how to write these pieces. Uh, basically, how to write these pieces to get the white nationalist message across was really interesting, and stuff that I kind of thought about before, but not specifically how they were doing it. Um, as for the reaction, I mean, it's been... It's, I, it even received a glowing endorsement from Claire Lehman. <laughs> just a little, that one was a little confusing. Who um, is,
1: the, of course, the publisher of Quillette, which uh, basically does all the same...
0: Like, yeah, does, I wonder if that was motivated by some guilt.
1: Yeah, obviously <laughs> they're trying to say... Well, everyone knows that Quillette is a far-right publication, but they, they try to do this pathetic song and dance where they try to deny it, and no one believes it. So I think Claire was just trying to do uh, her political theater there, but no one yeah. was having it, really, because Colette is just a fucking reactionary cesspit of piss.
2: <laughs> yeah, that was probably the funniest one, honestly. Um, I mean, for the most part, it seemed to... It seemed to be pretty well-received. I did get a lot of the... uh, It's mostly just trolls and then also um, a certain Vox writer who will go unnamed because he did apologize to me by email, but also he still deserves to be burned, of doing, well, I appreciate this reporting, but obviously this was happening. (laughs) There's been a fair bit of that, and it's like... Thanks, yes. dude.
1: Let's hear your fucking fifth explainer of the day on someone else's original reporting work. Yeah, it's can't... like just fucking appreciate what a fucking effort it is. And the fact that also the fact that alt-right groups, someone leaked this to you, obviously. We won't try to get you to tell us <laughs> who it was because we don't want to ruin your source. But that in it itself is like read between the lines. These groups might be falling apart and turning on each other. And you don't have to be do the too cool for school thing all the time.
0: Well, it's kind of like, yeah. oh, the video was released of the assailants breaking into Epstein's jail cell and strangling him. Duh. Big deal. Big surprise. Well, we all oh. knew it happened.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't need this. Uh, yeah, well, and it's also frustrating, too, because a lot of the people who say that are the people who two years ago when people... Re- I mean, myself included, started writing about the so-called alt-right. They were the ones who were like, oh, this doesn't matter. Do we have to be doing this? Hillary's going to win, and then, oops.
1: Oops, indeed. Uh, Hannah, is there anything else you want to plug right now other than, uh, well, we've we've been talking about your story, uh, uh, and I'll read the uh, title there and tell people where to find it later, but is there anything else... Uh, you want to plug right now any social media animal accounts any uh upcoming pieces you've got that any are about beefs? to come out any, any, beefs any twitter you wanna beefs you want to settle or escalate
2: hmm <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a good question um i'm working on the piece on andy no oh uh,
1: hell yeah that's right up our alley oh that is so insanely my shit
2: <laughs> he's so bad he's um, the worst as for military, as for uh, social media accounts, I'd like to plug uh, Military Giant Cats, which I discovered today, where they Photoshop pictures of cats and pictures of military exercises. It's very good.
1: Nice, nice. I, I, yeah. I, I'm I, partial to hourly fox. It just tweets <laughs> out a photo of a fox once an hour, and invariably, they are delightful photos. Hannah Gaze is a journalist who writes for places like The Baffler and The New Republic and also Splinter, which is where her piece, which we've been talking about, is published. It's called Leaked Emails Show How White Nationalists Have Infiltrated Conservative Media. You can find it at splinternews.com. Hannah Thank you so much for this work and for coming on to explain it.
0: And you can follow Hannah on Twitter at Hannah Gaze, H-A-N-N-A-H-G-A-I-S. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Hannah. Thank you, Hannah. Thanks again to Hannah. If you're a subscriber, stick around for one minute. The show will continue with our interview with Chris Caesar. If you're not a subscriber, the show ends right now. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. We're here in D.C., so you... Don't have to be.